Good morning. Good, good morning, chat. You, no, no lights on. Uh, no, let's see. We have light now. Here we go. There you go, chat. I was just talking to my friend. Uh, it's been worshiping with us now. Help me. I'm embarrassed. First name? Brandon? I, I talk to you every weekend. I love your smile. He came here. He was really dressed up formal the first week. And he said, forget that. And to, he told me his first message here was chaplain. And it's been downhill ever since. But, it, but, he's, but he's been coming every week. And I said, guess what? Chaplain and I are going to share together. So you came with him. You're going to leave with him. And he's going to your next assignment in Turkey. No, anyway. All right. Hey, let me tell you what we're going to do today. Dave and I, we thought that we would uh, preach together, and I'm, I'm excited about that. So we are going to talk about four truths today, four truths that transform your life, how to grow spiritually, how to make it on down the road with Christ, and uh, what are essential. So we're just kind of sitting at the table with coffee and water and uh, having a conversation. So uh, I'm going to do like first and third point. They won't be very good. Second and fourth are going to be extremely good. <laughs> Don't choke. I set him up. And uh, we're just going to get into it. So uh, turn to the back of your worship guy. You got one of those when you came in? Wave them at me. Wave them at Dave and I. Yeah, they're good to fan like this. You, know? you don't need them. 69 degrees in here. Come on, give me a break. Well, here's the first point. Worship. You know, I was thinking, Dave, uh, if I want to be serious about my faith, pursue Christ, then worship's got to be a part of who I am. So I just want to kind of talk a little bit about worship today, thinking it's natural for us to worship. God's created us that way. Everybody worships. Would you agree with that, chap? I think so. Okay. I, he is today. We do. We worship something. I'm not saying we worship God, but we worship something. And, and uh, we, during football season, or this past year, Auburn had a basketball team. All right. And, uh, and they, they worship there. But when you gather crowds of people, and there's attention, there's a focus, there's worship. But God is above all that. He wants us to worship Him. But uh, so it's, it's natural for us to come into worship. And God wants to fill us with faith and, and with the Spirit. So we want to come here. But I want, I want to share it. This is a little different. You don't know I'm going to go this way. Uh, you know, I've heard this over the years. I've been a Christ follower 41 years, and sometimes people go, hey, I went to church. I didn't get nothing out of it. Now, don't raise your hand if that's ever happened here, okay? Because, of course, it's never happened here. You always get something out of it, I hope. And, uh, but you know what I've learned about worship? Worship is not so much about you always getting something out of it. It's about what you give. So what I encourage you to do is, what do you give in worship? When you come into this room in a corporate place, in the church, in the living room, you have an opportunity to raise your hands, to close your eyes, to fold your hands, to get on your knees, to come to the altar, to sing, to pray, to receive, to greet, to serve, to hug, to whatever you worship. So God's called us to worship in this place, and it's not just about us. Worship is always about the Lord. Let me give you a verse here. Write down Psalm 29, verse 2. Uh, it says this, Give unto the Lord the glory do His name. And you know, that's what we try to do here every weekend. We try to gather people from different denominations over the years, different faiths, different persuasions, different 
ethnicities, different platforms, and we come to worship the one true God. So we hope that we ascribe and give him honor and, and our prayers every week and you leave here and you're not frustrated. You leave here that you did receive something. But more than that, listen, I want to go back to that thought. You gave something. You gave your heart. You, in the verse in Joel, maybe that says, render my garments, render my heart back into the Lord that I decided to render myself. And that's what I'm asking y'all to do in myself. Let's render ourselves to the Lord. Lord, I'm available. I showed up. Lord, I want to worship. I want to do your thing. I want to give you glory. And so here's what happens. Here's something that scares me about the modern-day phenomena of the church. We have the Internet church. We have all the great speakers right here on our tablets or whatever. And there are some phenomenal communicators, and they're gifted, and they're passionate, and all those kinds of things. But we don't want to give glory to man. We want to give glory to God. And the church said, we want to worship him. The Lord wants the glory. We want to give him honor. So there's always a priority. Matter of fact, the last book of the Bible, Revelation, if you flip there, I'll give you a couple of verses. Revelation 5.2, Revelation 5.9, Revelation 5.12. Here's what it says. Who is worthy? You are worthy, for you were slain and have redeemed us. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. All through Revelation, you see the revelator. He's, ta- he's calling us to go forth and to give praise to God, to worship him. You know, worship is important in our spiritual growth. That spontaneous, you know what it is to break out in spontaneous praise? Anybody know what I'm talking about? You just, you're overwhelmed with joy. You're overwhelmed with uh, gratitude. You know, this morning, my wife, I won't tell you how old she is, today's her birthday. And it was a real marker today. And she's over working with her kids today. So when you see Donna today, just tell her how great she looks. And man, love you, appreciate you. Just bless her, hug her neck. I don't know. Just let her know, man, today's your birthday. Because I'm so grateful uh, for the life I get to do with her. Matter of fact, we've been married 40 years come August. So we're celebrating that together. But there's a priority of worship. Let me give you some verses. Here they are. Uh, I'm going to transition over to chat pretty quick. I, I could talk forever and I forget. I've got somebody else, so I've got to shut up so you can do it because yours is much better. But listen to this. Psalm 103.1. Praise the Lord, my soul, all, mo, all my inmost being. Praise his name. Deuteronomy 11, verse 1, verse 13. Love the Lord your God. Keep his requirements, his decrees, his commands always. In Matthew 22, 25 through 38. I think it's one that we kind of like around Christ's community. We built our mission statement on it. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, say it with me, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your... This is the first and the greatest commandment. So worship... What do you do? Just fill in this one blank. I gave you one blank today. You're like, man, I like it when Dave preaches with you because you're shorter. I am. Worship is love expressed. When I worship, when chap worships, I express my devotion. I express my adoration to God. You know, that's what I did early this morning is I do every day. I get up and I put on my worship. And then I go put on my tennis shoes to do a walk. And then I come back and I worship some more. And I just invite you with me and Chap as we're walking life with you and enjoying you and you're hopefully enjoying us. We just say, God, I want to express worship and devotion. I want to honor you with extravagant love. We worship you, God, because you're God. Period. You deserve it. You've redeemed me. You're my living hope. You know, this week, standing there with the Pruitt family and 
thinking about Courtney all week and what she's been through the last year and the family and just that we could celebrate the father. She would say this in the last year of her life. God is good and God has a plan for my life. And he is good. And I remember when the musician sang, he's a good, good father. And we can worship God in the storm. We can worship him on the mountain. We can worship him in the valley. But God is to be worshipped. And if you want to be transformed, you've got to put on your... Wait a minute. Come on, come on. God is to be praised, and we need to put on our worship, right? Okay. You know what I'm going to do? I could go on and on, but I'm going to hand it off to you because I can't wait to see what you're going to share with us. It's going to be good. Well, I appreciate it. Thanks for the opportunity to speak. You know, it's, uh, it's a pleasure to get to be a part of this community for a couple years now. And, you know, I, I just can't help but sense that there's a little bit of momentum going in the congregation. Anybody else feel that? Amen. I mean, God's paying off debts, and people are coming back, and uh, I just get the sense that God's doing something really good in our midst. And so we have our, our days where there's tragedy that strikes, and, and we, we mourn. We have our days where we're feeling sick, and we pray, and we, we stand together, and we have our days of celebrate. So it's good to be reminded of worship, which is our intended response to God. It's our designed response to God to give God his worth. But there's some things that get in the way of that. There's things that develop in our lives that become a barrier. And I think the reason we guard our hearts is to avoid a callus or a barrier or a roadblock to God from forming within us. And I have a little bit different approach to the way that I do topic, um, topical messages. I tend not to uh, often get several different verses. I tend to prefer to stick with just one area. So I think all of Proverbs looks towards, I'm going to talk more about Proverbs in a little bit, but all of Proverbs is based on wisdom literature. And wisdom literature in the Bible, that would be like Job, Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes, Proverbs. These are, are books written from a father to a son. It's, it's this idea of a mentor to a protege. Of, it's this idea that we're going to equip you as a young person with the wisdom you're going to need to live a godly life and to make good decisions. And I think the importance of that is that the decisions that God in, equips us with are decisions that keep us from developing roadblocks between us and him. And I, I'll get into that a little bit more, but specifically when it comes to the barriers that can be built between us and God, we have a word for that, don't we? And the word we use is sin. Sin can often become this barrier between us and God that keeps us from learning, that destroys our relationships with him, with others can even destroy their very life. And, and the great thing about Proverbs is there's this, this story that happens in about the seventh chapter of Proverbs that I think is a picture for all of sin, but it's very specific in the, the story we're given uh, to that of adultery. So I'm going to read just a little bit of it to you. Proverbs 7 says, My child, uh, keep my words and store up my commandments with you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep my teachings at the as the apple of your eye, bind them on your fingers, write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you're my sister, and call insight your intimate friend, that they may keep you from loose women, from the adulteress, and with their smooth words. So in wisdom literature, wisdom is kind of a personification of God. It's this idea that when we encounter real wisdom, we're experiencing God. It's, it's a foreshadowing of what we see in John with Logos, this idea that when you see God's wisdom, you see God's. 
face. And we're given a gift in Proverbs. Uh, we're given uh, not the law and the prophets, the do's and the don'ts. We're given this understanding of God's pattern for our lives and how he wants to shape us. So in verse 6 it says, For at the window of my heart, I, of my house, I looked and out through the lattice and I saw among the, the single ones I observed among the youths a young man without sense. You know, that's a good description of young men, amen? <laughs> you've been a young man, you know that's a good description. Sometimes we just don't have very much common sense. Uh, in the Air Force we call that all vector and, and no, um, what's that? All thrust and no vector, thank you. Uh, and I think that's a good description of a young man. Amen, Doug? I would say so. <laughs> Sometimes it's a good description of an old man. I don't know, but uh, in this case, it's a young man uh, that doesn't have much sense. And that's, you know, I think a picture of why it's so important to help our kids make good decisions and to protect them from bad ones when they're young. If we don't develop good habits and protect ourselves uh, from the bad ones, that can affect the whole course of the rest of our lives. We can get involved in um, patterns that are really difficult to break in adulthood. And so I think one of the things we need to look at is how to be protected as young people, how to protect our young people from developing those habits. In verse 11, um, I'm sorry, verse 8, it says, Passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house in the twilight to evening in the time of the night of darkness, then a woman comes towards him, decked out like a prostitute, widely apart. So she comes dressed up in, in a deceiving way, and we, we know that about sin, don't we? Sin kind of, it has a hidden agenda. Sin looks like one thing, but it really has a different intent for us. And it, it, if sin wasn't attractive, nobody would do it. But the reality is, if we become enamored with something that we know is a bad thing for us, we're far more likely to get wrapped into it. And uh, we need to be aware when things look good but feel wrong that we need to really inspect our hearts and see where we're at with them. In verse 11, she's loud and wayward, her feet do not stay at home. Now in the street, now in the squares, every corner she lies in wait. She seizes him, kisses him. With an impudent face, she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices today. I had to pay for my, uh, I paid my vows. Now that's a really sneaky verse. I don't know. Anybody here ever pay attention to that verse before? I read it again and it, it hit me like right in the face. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about the person that goes to church on Sunday and says their prayers for God and is all right. paid up in the grace bank and then goes out and sins on Monday. Yeah, you ever, I mean, if, don't raise your hand, but have you ever played that game with God? And I'm going to say my prayers. I'm going to say, God, forgive me for last week with the full intent of going out on Monday to do whatever you want to for the rest of the week. God's grace doesn't work that way. It's, it's not this idea of if I say the right words, if I say the right prayers, if, we, if I, I act the right way, then God's going to forgive me, and then I can go do whatever I want to. God wants to change your heart. Amen. And that is different than empty religion, which is what this is describing. You can't guard your heart with fake religion. Yeah. And um, so now, uh, in verse 15, I've come out to meet you to seek your, you eagerly, and I have found you. And I have uh, decked my couch with covering, co covered my spreads with Egyptian linen, and have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take and feel love this morning. Let us delight with love. 
for my husband's not home. He's gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him, and he will not come till it's all new. Basically, she had a plan for sin in her life, and sometimes we do that too. And if we know that we're planning for sin, we're going to sin. It's not going to be one of those things we're going to grow right up to the moment and say, ah, maybe I won't. We have to guard our hearts with the intent, with the, the thing that we're planning forward. And, you know, I want to skip forward because I don't want to take any more of uh, Keith's time on the next point. But, you know, he says in verse 24, listen, kids, and be attentive to the words of my mouth. Don't let your hearts turn away, uh, aside to her ways. Don't stay astray into her paths. For many of those she's laid low and numerous are her victims. Her house is the way to Sheol, going down to the dark chambers of death. It's, it's the truth that sin kills. And if we don't guard our hearts, we're going to find ourselves trapped by it. You know, it's like that, that kid in Utah that climbed down into a cave and wanted to see how far he could get. And he kept going further and further and further until he got stuck. And the rock in the cave was such that it said that it didn't have enough integrity to hold the ropes and the, the stanchions to pull him out. And he had to die in the cave. Others had died before him, but he didn't take heed of the warnings, and he went too far in. He lost his life. And that's the picture of sin in our lives. If we don't guard our hearts, it kills our relationship with God, with each other, and it can take our very soul and our lives. Hmm. You know, when uh, Chap was sharing that, I, I, I thought of that old expression, sin will take you farther than you want to go and keep you longer than you want to stay. In that the nature of sin, it just weaves a wicked web. Here's a third point. Look there on your outline. Becoming a person of the Word, saturated with the, the words of Jesus, saturated with the Scripture of the prophets, giving Him honor, fashioning your rhythms of life after the Word. I say it time and time again, and I can't say it, and I preach it to myself, not just to you, about how important it is to have a non-negotiable, diet, steady, consistent, faithful discipline of God's Word. How, how many of you take vitamins? Just raise your hand if you take vitamins. I know some of you are like, man, they're overrated. All right, or raise your hand if you take medicine. <laughs> yes, that's everybody, okay. And, and you take that because you what? You want to live a, a, a better quality of life, and you know it's important. And your doctor, sometimes you go to the doctor, and the doctor asks you, have you been taking your medicine if you're taking your vitamins and then they and sometimes if they're really a good doctor they go do you take them daily do you take them consistently you know and that's just one of the things that i've learned in my walk with jesus is i've got to be in the word every day i've got to take my vitamins i've got to take that stuff daily listen to what isaiah chapter 40 verse 8 says the grass withers the flowers fall but the word of our god endures it stands forever psalm 119 you, you know i've told you about the longest psalm in the scripture, the 119th, listen to the 92nd verse. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. It's so critical that we somehow say, God, I've got to get into your word and, and I've got to make that a, a daily discipline because God, if I get in that, then I know what your will is. Then I can avoid some pitfalls. I can avoid these things that seem to seduce me or to squeeze the life out of me or they seem to become uh, a prohibition. Or they, there's things that they just capture my mind and my attention. They, they get my devotion. They get my money. They get my passion. And God's like, well, I want you to be about my word. Like, let me set it up this way. 
If, if I said, are you the MVP or you want your kids to be the MVP? If I go, I want my kid to be the MVP. Or if you said, my kid's GPA is so important. You go, man, we're all about esteeming, having a high GPA. But then let me throw in another three-letter one while I'm here. Because this one doesn't get talked about near as much, but it should be the most. The G-O-D. What's my God factor? How much is my love for God? How much time am I spending in the Word getting to know Him? And, and this is really kind of a rudimental teaching today just on the Word, but it's so essential. I, I find it doesn't matter how long I've been walking with Christ, I have to keep running back to the basics saying, God, I've got to spend time in your presence and your word to know what you say. And, and because this book is not like any other book, this is not some fine piece of literature, and it is. It's not some book of just historical stories because it is. It's not just a story of miracles, and it is. But this is the what? The living, breathing book, inerrant, infallible word of God. And God's people said, I mean, th this is truth. This is the truth that David and I are sharing about today that's going to transform your life. And, 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 you know, it's not like we've been living a couple thousand years, or not that we've been living 2,000 years, but since Christ, 2,000 years, and we're like, oh, we got smarter than God. We got smarter than the prophets. We got smarter than them. We did not. How many would agree with me our society is confused about sexuality today? Our society is confused about what is marriage. Our society is confused about money. See, not near as many hands. Okay, you know, and the thing is, if we go back to the book, God has given us ancient texts. Uh, uh, prof, you are prof. Prof, chap, my friend Dave. As he talks about that wonderful book, Proverbs, it's just amazing what we get from God's Word. So as we look at that and we go, God, your Word should hold supreme authority over my life. So, friends, here's what I'm encouraging you and me today. There's something authoritative in your life. Everybody has to bow to authority. The kingdom of God runs on rails of authority. And I chose 41 years ago to submit to this book, to the Lord, the author of this book, my Redeemer, Jesus Christ. And I've missed the mark many times, but man, I am not near the ditches I would have been because I've been reading his word. So I just want to encourage us today. And in your home, when you sit with your kids, write them on the doorpost, write them Write them on their foreheads. I mean, literally, don't go and write the scripture on their forehead. But that'd be cool. They'd go to school like, Mom, why do you have a verse on your forehead, you know? But we want to hide God's word in our hearts that the psalmist said that I might not sin against you. So the words of God, um, listen to what Hebrews 4.12, I think it's going to come up on the screen. It's a great verse. For, for the word of God is alive, and it's active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. There it is. God's word. It reads me. I, I've told you before, are you reading God's word? And you go, yes, sometimes. Okay, get more consistent. But it's a more important question. Is this book reading me? Is God's word, you know, is God speaking to me? Here, here's the one blank I got. I, I gave you one blank in each section. Y'all probably going, when chap moves to Turkey, can he please preach with you, Skype? Because I like it. Your messages are shorter. But listen to this. The word is a scalpel, and it cuts with conviction. You go to the doctor for surgery, or you go for a, a procedure, and he gets the scalpel out, and you go, that is going to hurt. And you're, how many of you are grateful for drugs in that situation? I didn't say, are you grateful for drugs, but you're grateful in that situation for drugs. 
But the Word of God is a divine scalpel, and it cuts us, and it's authoritative, and it judges, and it cuts out sin. So life, here's what I've learned. Life change always happens for you and me when I spend time in God's Word. Or the opportunity for it is because God gets my attention. But I was listening to this thing, and I think it's so true. Every time that I preach or chat preaches or somebody teaches you or you read, you have three responses. Write them down today. I don't think they're going to come up, but I want you to write them down. Three reactions when you read the Word of God. You get mad because He finds you out. You get sad or you get glad. And my prayer is that somewhere in there that we're getting glad in the gladness of the Lord, that we're glad that God is shaping us. He's redefining us. He's making us new. He's, he's transforming us. You know, I can't imagine if I didn't have God's Word. I mean, it's uh, James 1.21. These scriptures are going to come up on the screen for you to see on the back screen if you didn't bring a scripture. Humbly accept the Word of God that's planted in your hearts, for it has the power to save your souls. Just the next verse through 25, 22 through 25. Do not merely listen to the Word and deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the Word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks in the face in their face in a mirror and after looking at himself immediately goes away and forgets what he looks like but whoever looks intently into the perfect law gives freedom and continues in it not forgetting what they have heard but doing it they will be blessed in what they do i pray that god would just make us people of the book like god i looked in the mirror this morning how, how many looked in the mirror today before you came to church how many looked more than once yeah I mean, we look in the mirror because, like, man, I, when I step out there, when I step into public, I want people to go, hey, you know, you did this. It's just important. But how about God? Of, and I won't ask you to raise your hand whether you did or not. No condemnation here. Did you look in this mirror? This is the ultimate mirror of God. God, I want to be transformed, so i got to look in your book. And then I'm, I'm going to move this real quick because I'm going to hand it off to Chap here in a moment. I want you to turn over to Joshua. This is not going to come from your notes. As I was studying, this, this section just r rang out. Joshua chapter 1. Will you turn there with me? Uh, it's page... Uh, it won't matter in your Bible. Just, just turn there, okay? It's the sixth book of the Bible. There's the Torah, the Pentateuch, the first five books. And then there's a sixth book, and it's Joshua. And, and when you look there, Moses, Moses uh, has died here, okay? He's, uh, uh, you know the great leader he's, he's gotten the word of god he's led the people he has a successor and the successor of moses his name is okay we're looking at the book there's the name of his name is joshua okay and in this this great leader and, and listen to this you, you have to go back a little bit earlier moses is leading and god he, he doesn't have the word like we have it he only has part of it and and he gives him he says now moses get the stick and and, and throw it on the ground and throw your staff down. And when it does, it's going to become a serpent. Now, Moses, go over there and pick up the stick, the serpent, and it'll become a staff. Now, we read the Bible in real time. Or, or we don't read it in real time. We, we just read it, you know, chronologically. We read it as it looks. How many of you think Joshua, uh, Moses immediately went over there and picked up the snake? I think there was an hour and a half pause right there. I, I don't know that, but I'm just wondering. I mean, how many of you would have just gone over there and just picked up the snake? And then there's another cool story that nobody talks about, and he talks about this, and he uses that. The other one is the leprous story. You remember? He says, Moses, put your, put your hand in your pocket, and when you put your hand in your pocket, pull it out. And Moses pulled his hand out, and he was a Middle Eastern guy, and his hand turned white, almost albino, and it was leprous. Ugh! 
He says, and now put your hand back in, back in your pocket, and it becomes clean again. And I'll just wonder, I don't know, I'm, I know I'm reading it to the text a little bit, but I think Moses laid out in his tent. Can y'all imagine that trick? Wouldn't that be cool? You're laying in your tent, and you're like, man, God's doing some cool stuff, but you're just kind of doing this. I mean, all night. I mean, I mean, he would play with that. I mean, I would. I was a guy. I mean, I'd have been all night, man. This is cool. And then there's this guy named Joshua, and he comes on the scene. And I bet he had a story. I bet he goes, hey, what kind of gimmick am I going to get, God? What am I going to get to do? Now, nobody's, nobody's probably ever thought of that. But he didn't, he didn't get a gimmick. You know what God told him? Look there. It's there in chapter 1. Look down there at verse 6. Be strong and courageous. You're the one who will lead his people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors. I would give them. Be strong and very courageous. And then, here it is. Pivot right here. Circle it. Highlight it. Put lipstick on it. Get, get your attention. Be careful to obey all the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them. Turn either to the right or to the left. Then you will be successful in everything you do. Verse 8. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so that you will be sure to do everything written in it. You know what he told Joshua? Joshua, you don't have a thing. You don't have a gimmick. You've got the Word. And I want to give you the Word. I want you to meditate. I want you to chew. I want you to know it. And now God gives us all 66 books, chap, that we can chew, that we can ruminate, that we can digest, that we can be transformed, that we can read, that we can study. And God says, you're going through a hard time, you're going through a valley, you're in a good place, just keep taking my word. Don't deviate. Don't turn to the right. Don't turn to the left. Walk this way. So God, we want to walk after you. We want to pursue you this morning because you're faithful. Chap, man, this is fun getting to do this, and you're going you're gonna to take us to this next one. I, I cannot wait to hear you expound about how to make wise decisions. So I'm ready, man. Pressure's on. It's going to be good. Okay. Is this a good decision, Val, for him to do that? No, 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 I'm sorry. That's his wife. Go ahead. Uh, you know, it's funny. We talked about reading the Bible. I, I was something before I was a chaplain. I was a, a cop in the Air Force, and I remember uh, one day my boss says, I want you to start reading your OIs and the SSI to get out of the DIBOE. And uh, he got the, I got the last laugh. That was good. That was good. I think he finished with his staff summary. <laughs> so making wise decisions. Proverbs, and I kind of alluded to this in the first part of what I spoke about, is Proverbs talks about how to make wise decisions based on God's transformation of your life. And I think that's really important because we're not talking about basic human intelligence here. We're not talking about um, knowledge that you've read a whole bunch about so that you know all the answers. And if you try to approach God's wisdom that way, you're going to have an epic fail. And I'll give you an example. Sometimes you can read the scripture and not understand it at all. Uh, and this may step on somebody's toes, but I'm okay with that. Uh, I'm going to church this morning. <laughs> Thanks. You, you, you read the Bible where it says, Spare the rod and spoil the child. And there's some parents who are like, That means I'm going to get a stick out and I'm going to beat my kid with it because that's what the Bible says. It's not what that scripture is getting at. What that scripture is getting at is that you don't discipline your kids, they grow up to be brats. Hmm. Right? Yes. And so we learn God's wisdom by bringing it into our head and letting God transform our lives. And so Proverbs is a great book because it kind of addresses every aspect of human life in one way or another. I mean, it talks about God's justice, relationships, home, work, speech, thought, deed, 
it's basically showing us the truths of life so that we can begin to allow God to change who we are in the way that we approach things. But in Proverbs, it says uh, that the beginning of wisdom is with what? Anybody know? The fear of the Lord. Lord. The fear of the Lord is not being afraid of God. It's about having the right respect, awe, um, the right um, reverence for who God is in your life. It's putting God in his rightful place and saying, okay, God, you're in charge, and I'm not. That's the beginning of wisdom, as contrasted with being foolish. And the idea is that if we submit our lives to God, we will make wise choices. We'll make choices that bring life, not death. Amen. Proverbs in, in generally reflects truths that we're going to see. There are some notable exceptions. One exception might be that um, it teaches us that if we live by God's standards, we're, we're going to be successful. Well, if we all know people that are poor, that are godly. We know people that are uh, sick, that are godly. And so there are some times in life that we see uh, pain and, and poverty as Christians. However, the principles that God lays out for us bring us success and joy. And maybe... Sometimes we're confused because we read them by our standards and not see them correctly by God's standards. Yeah. Proverbs 1 says, For learning about wisdom, for understanding the words of insight, for gaining instruction in wise dealing, righteousness, justice, and equity, to teach shrewdness to the simple, knowledge and prudence to the young, let the wise also see and gain in learning and discerning acquire skill. To understand a proverb and a figure, the words of the wise and the riddlers. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. And so, you know, we, we have a world of people that want to push away God's wisdom for their own. And I, I don't think we need to get frustrated about that as Christians. Because without God, you don't have a reason to follow God's instructions. The promise is that if we submit our wills to God and to his instruction, that we're going to profit by it, that our lives are going to get better. And that's going to be a testimony to the world around us, that we are submitted to God, that we bend our knee and our hearts and our wills to him, and it begins to change who we are. And that's not an easy process, is it? <coughs> I would say it's a lifelong process. It's an everyday process. It's an everyday going back to God and saying, okay, this seemed to go well today, and I, I think that's because I submitted it to you, and this seemed to not go so well today, and I think that means that I need to bend a little bit more. Hmm. Choosing the right course in life. Uh, Proverbs teaches us about the wise man and the fool, the righteous and the wicked, the words we use. Teaches us about marriage and parents and kids. Teaches us about friends and neighbors and laziness and hard work. It teaches us about business, plans and decisions, the proud and the humble, the bosses and the subordinates, the kings and the rulers. Hopes and fears, joys and sorrows, and anger. To put it simply, what we learn through God's wisdom is that every single part of our life has to be submitted to him. And as Christians, I have noticed in my own life and in the lives of those I've ministered to is people are pretty good about submitting one thing to God and not another. You know, I'm going to submit my marriage to you, God. I want it to be successful. I'm going to submit my children to you, God, because I don't want them to grow up and be brats. But, you know, I just not ready to tithe. I'm going to tithe my time because I'm not ready to let go of this area of my life. Well, that's that's one example. We all have an area or a pocket of something that we want to hold on to for dear life. And God says, if you just let everything go and submit it to him, 
you're going to be wise. You're going to have life. You're going to experience God's joy and his peace. And I guarantee if there's something in your life you're holding back from God because you'd rather be in control of it, that's probably the area of your life you have the most misery with, the most struggle with, the most failure in. Smart choices, the message of Proverbs is that smart choices start with putting God in charge. Proverbs will confirm to you the thing that the Holy Spirit's already saying to you, which is, I need to let God help me make these decisions. Hmm. I need to ask God first on big decisions, Lord. Should I marry this person? Should I, uh, should I use this money to buy a new car? Should I use this money to go out and adopt a child? Should I go out and um, take this job that pays more, take this job that maybe makes a bigger difference. We need to ask God to help us make decisions if we're going to make the right ones. You know, it reminds me of when I, I left home at 17. I, <laughs> I went and moved into my uncle's house, my uncle Sam's house, uh, there at Lackland Air Force Base, and I went through basic training, and they marched us all into this room, and we all were wearing our different clothes, and they called us rainbows, and uh, because of all the different colors of the rainbow, right? And they, they took these um, clippers, and they sat us in a chair, and they shaved all of our head, hair off. Now, I would love that now, because it's less work for me, but back then, you know, we all had lots of hair. It was the 80s. We, we were younger. It was flowing. Heavy metal was in style, so everybody wanted their long, gnarly hair while it was gone. It was all on the floor, right? And then they marched us into another room. They said, strip down. So everybody stripped their clothes off. They handed us all of our clothes, and they put them on, and we all looked exactly the same. Uh, at the same time, they were yelling and screaming at us. Uh, I thought they were going to kill us. I, I don't know. Back then, I didn't know what they could get away with. One kid, he mouthed off to a PI. They can't do this anymore. He took them into the bathroom, and there was a wall between where they were and where we were. And I know now the PI was just hitting the wall as hard as he could, yelling and screaming at him. And it, we all thought he was killing the kid. I was, I was scared to death for my life. I didn't say anything to anybody. We were given jobs. My job was my identity. I became the house mouse. I was in charge of cleaning the PI's office. But everything they did was to take away our identity and to give us a, a new one. In fact, I didn't even have a name on my uniform for the first week. I was just a green-suited kid. That's how long ago I went in. Uh, I wore an all-green uniform. They are called fatigue. I've been in long enough to see five uniform changes. But uh, I'm not old. No. And I got that. Uh, I got my name, and that was a big deal. I was like, that's right. My name is Leonard. My name is Air Force, I don't know. And <laughs> the reality is it was to make us operate as a team and to issue us this new identity by breaking down who we were before we came in. God does that. Hmm. And it's a, not an easy process. It's painful at times. But one of the things that we see is as we submit our will to God, as is evidenced through Proverbs and through the wisdom of God, he begins to take away our own individual selfish desires, our own individual plans, and he begins to rewire who we become based on his will and his design for our lives. Sometimes that design is not the design that we wanted. And, um, you know, I'm just going to be really candid here. You know, maybe uh, you're, you're coming from the world and the world has said, hey, uh, it's okay to date whoever you want. And God says, hey, I have this design that says that you, 
men and women to be married and have children. And that's a struggle. And that's a hard thing to give up. Or maybe you're, you're living with your, your, your boyfriend or your girlfriend and you're saying, you know, this feels right. And God's saying, hey, I, I want you to be married because that's my plan for your life. Well, this isn't a message of shame that you should lie together. This is a message of it's tough to submit to God, but God's plan for our lives is better than my plan for my life. And what yes. it means to become a Christian is to bend my knee and my heart and my will to God and say, even when I don't agree or even when I don't understand what you're asking of me, God, I'm going to put my will down and I'm going to take up your plan for my life. And that's how to make good decisions. Good work. I got to ask, I've been working with military now for 40 years, a TI, is that a training instructor? Mm -hmm. So they have, do they not have initials for everything? How many of you are going, what's a TI, man? I'm, I'm sitting there doing, okay, awesome. Man, I love what Dave shared, just wisdom out of his life and out of God's word. Matter of fact, when you had us turn to Proverbs, I was flipping and I ran across this obscure verse, but I, for some reason, I want to share this with y'all. We're going to wrap it. Caitlin, come to the piano. And, and this is for you. Proverbs 26, 17. Interfering in someone else's argument is as foolish as yanking a dog's ears. I, I just thought I'd share that with you. That is, I mean, that's the kind of common sense we get from Proverbs, isn't it? And I got to tell you, that works. If you, don't, if you don't think so, go home and yank your dog's ears and then read God's word. Okay. You know, man, this has been fun being with Dave. And um, he's going to preach in a few weeks. I hope he is. Anyway, but hey, I'm, I'm so glad that he's here. Hey, could you just put your hands together and thank God for my friend and your elder? Yeah, man. Love you, brother. This is good. Well, here's what we're going to do. We're, we have heard you. Uh, we had a season where we didn't do hymns forever. Then we did some, then we didn't. And Caitlin is going to bless us. She's going to lead us, right, in a hymn. It's an old hymn that I learned many years ago in the Methodist church. It's called Blessed Assurance. The lady's name is Fanny Crosby. Uh, Cheryl's putting together the worship guys. She goes, who's the, who's the composer of this? I go, Fanny Crosby. She looked at me. She's like, look, just don't ask how I knew that. I just knew that. And all of you that are older than 40 years old know Blessed Assurance. If you're under 40, you're probably going, never heard it. And are, are you, you're doing it a little more upbeat than I probably learned it, right? Maybe. Maybe. Okay. All right. Let me get everybody to stand to your feet. And this is going to be like our closing benediction song today. Hey, don't leave on this. Man, this is a song you've been waiting for. Some of you, man, this uh, draws something out of your heart. And at the end of the day, we hope that you walk away today thinking about something that we said. No, thinking about something he said through his word. Caitlin, lead us in that great song, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine.